The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's so good to see you. My name is Tracy Graham. I am one of the pastors here. Kevin Wilsey said I need to introduce myself. There's been people who have visited for four weeks and have not yet seen me up here or heard or met me. So uh, it has been an incredible blessing to hear men of God bring the word of God. Uh, and I've been richly blessed by uh, their teaching. And the time uh, off from the weekly demands, it hasn't been a time off as far as vacation, but it's, it frees me to do a lot of reading and praying and studying and work on other areas like our our vision to uh, begin multiplying uh, the God's glory throughout this city. But in, in that time, the last few weeks, uh, the Lord has worked very powerfully in my heart in, in one particular area is, as the Lord would have it, uh, he worked in my heart on, on the issue that we end up looking at in Malachi, and that's often how the Lord works in our lives. But there, the world has been changed forever by something very small. And that was the discovery of a flame, if you think about it. I mean, the discovery of a flame has changed the world forever and will continue to change the world. The flame seems like no big deal. It's just a flame, right? But that little flame has set wilderness afire. And just wilderness flames have gone through and engulfed wildernesses and destroyed everything in its path. Homes, lives, devastation and destruction from a simple flame. But at the same time, that flame has been harnessed for good and has done incredibly powerful things. An engine is nothing but a controlled explosion, right? It's a controlled explosion where the flame ignites the gas and it turns a wheel that propels. and, And we've seen how that has changed our lives. And so something as simple as a flame has radical impact. It can either explode and bring death or it can ex- explode under control for good and, and change our lives. And today, we're going to look at the importance of a very small metaphorical flame. And that flame is the gospel love of Jesus Christ in your heart. And it is so powerful that it, it is the only flame that has the power to ignite and propel a life of worship that you are called to for the rest of your life. That God calls us to give ourselves away. God calls us to die to self, to, to, to sacrifice of self in order to love others and do the works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And every day we get discouraged and we burn out and we get tired and that becomes, instead of an act of worship, it becomes a methodical act of begrudging duty. And God is going to challenge us today to say, I don't need that from you. I don't want that from you. In fact, if that's you coming in, shut the door in their face. I want your heart. I want worship. And we need to hear this because every day we face circumstances a lot like Israel is facing as Malachi writes to them. Malachi comes to Israel. Malachi falls in our book, the very last of your Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible was written and it was... Our, our Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible. When was the Hebrew Bible collected and shaped and formed into a book? It was during the darkest, most depressing days of Israel's life. 
All hope seems to be lost. They don't want to continue on. They don't understand what God is doing in their life. And they need hope. And so God binds the scripture together and gives it to them. And you know what the central theme of the Hebrew scriptures, your Old Testament, is? The Messiah is still coming. There's hope. There's a flickering of the flame. It hasn't burned out. And so today we we come and we think, what is going on? And Malachi is writing to Israel. Now, if you think about what has gone on in Israel, they've been exiled out of their land, as we saw the previous weeks, that they have been lovingly disciplined because they were heading off a cliff unto eternal devastation and destruction. But God graciously had Babylon come and ripped them out of their land and brought them into Babylon to say, you need to wake up. You are heading into destruction. And so his act of love in turning them in discipline and it gets their attention, but it is a painful, painful process to be disciplined in love by the Lord. Everything about them has been ripped out of their comfort, has been ripped away from them. Their leaders were executed. Their temple was looted. Imagine, I mean, for us, we don't have a whole lot of stuff that that is, but if someone came in and stole our keyboard and these guitars, other than some people freaking out, we would all be like, "What, what is going on? How dare them come in here? But if you're high church and you've got articles of worship that are just emotional connections to, to visually, this is how I worship God. And some people from our city broke in and stole them. That's devastating. And their leaders have been executed. Thousands died in battle. Thousands died from starvation. Thousands died from disease. Many were executed and many more fled just into the wilderness. But eventually, most of them wound up in Babylon. And as they recovered from their reeling from all of this devastation, what happens to you when you kind of have settled down and recovered from a very difficult stage of life, you start to finally get comfortable again, right? And so they start getting comfortable in Babylon. God's people, not in the place that God gave them because of their sin, and not worshiping where God designed them to worship, but they're in the nations, living in the culture, and they settle in, and they get comfortable. In fact, Babylon gives Israel a a lot of independence and says, Plant crops. Go ahead, make a living. And they experience economic prosperity. And they start getting comfortable. They start building their lives. They start taking on the practices of the culture. They start marrying women that aren't worshiping God. They start building houses. And they start, life is good again. And maybe some of these other religious practices are pretty good for us. And then God does another act of grace and puts a man, King Cyrus, in rule at Babylon. And and King Cyrus has a whole different way of doing things. He says, let the people go back to their land and rebuild their house of worship and establish their identity. That's the way he wanted to rule. But you know what happened with a lot of Israelites? I'm good. I don't want to go back. They had a hard time getting Israel back to the promised land worshiping in the place that God had for them because they got comfortable. 
things in Babylon seem better. And we saw last week when they did return back to Israel, back to the promised land, and they did rebuild the temple, it was nothing like the glory days. And they're like, this is not good. Trust me, I'm 50 soon. And I know it ain't like the glory days anymore. They felt that. They looked at their lives and they said, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not what I thought, how I thought it was going to turn out. They were discouraged. They were devastated. The city was devastated. There was destruction everywhere. They're depressed. New American Commentary sums it this way. He says, they were troubled. You have troubled people whose circumstances of financial insecurity, religious skepticism, and personal disappointments are similar to those God's people and others experience or encounter today. We can relate. How many of you here today can say that same thing? I look at my life and I've experienced personal disillusionment, disappointment. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. Circumstances are devastated. Nothing's turned out the way I thought it would be. What you've got to face tomorrow is just looming. Malachi has a word for you. The problem that we see as we read Malachi becomes crystal clear. If you read it in preparation for today, you picked it out by just what the questions they were saying. These questions are revealing what's in the heart. I just squared some of them as I was studying. Let me just read these questions to you and you yourself can tell me what was going on in their lives. They say, how have you loved us, God? What? How have we despised your name? How have we polluted your altar? Why, why does the Lord not, off, not accept our offerings anymore? What do you mean? How have we wearied you, Lord? Where is the God of justice? These are the questions coming out of their mouth. How have we robbed you? How have we spoken against you? What profit is there in obeying the charge of the Lord? So you can hear what's going on in their hearts. Their flame has dimmed. Their flame is barely flickering. They don't have a heart that are just warmed with this rich glow of how God is so good. And it's fueling their life of worship. It's just barely flickering. Maybe that's where you are today. The flame of the glory of God is just barely even flickering in the darkness of your heart. If so, Malachi has something for you. Warnings. Now you might think he would have, wait, wait, me warnings? When I'm hurting and I'm struggling, he's got warnings? Yes. He's got warnings from you, for you. Warnings that will lead you back to the proper place. Warnings to say, hey, you better be careful. If that flame doesn't get fanned, if you don't fan the flames, you're going to get in a real scary place. Father, I pray that you will ignite the flames in our heart. 
I pray that you will do for us what we so desperately need, that the flames of the gospel of Jesus Christ will burn so brightly in our hearts that we will be fueled for a life of worship for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, Malachi is gonna give us six warnings. I originally planned on doing three this week and three next week. I told him in the first service, cut the third point for today. We're not gonna get there because the Lord just kept working on my heart this week and I couldn't get comfortable with this message until finally I cut the third point and the Lord said, do not rush through the reminder of how much I love them. And that's what the Lord's been doing in my heart, reminding me of his love for me and reigniting and fanning that flame in my heart. And that's my prayer for each of you today. So he starts with the very first warning, which is actually the main warning that everything else flows from. Warning number one, remember how God has loved you. It's a warning because if you forget how God has loved you, everything else goes dark. Remember how God has loved you. So Judah, is their flame is almost out. It's dark. It's depressing. Devastation, discouragement, despair, destruction. And then in Malachi 1, 2, the Lord comes to them and he says, I have loved you. The Lord says, and then he looks at them, he says, but you say, how have you loved us? You see, they're looking at their circumstances and they're like, how have you loved us, Lord? Look around us. Look at the nations. They're prospering. They're prospering. They're doing great. And you say you've loved us? My life is a mess. My circumstances are nothing what I thought. How, you, how can you say you've loved us when look at the nations who hate you and look how well they're doing? They're doing great. How have you loved us? To which he responds in verse 2. And now it gets confusing, so just let me read it and let's work through what in the world is he saying. He says, in response to the question, how have you loved us? He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. And your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. So what's going on here? God is answering their question. How have you loved us? Which was asked because they're looking at God's people 
and seeing destruction and looking out at the nations and seeing prosperity. How have you loved us? And then the Lord responds, and to sum it up, he says, I have loved you by choosing you and making you my people. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Who was Jacob and Esau? Remember, we went through Genesis. God is working in a world that is racked with sin. It's devastation and destruction and despair and depression all over the globe. Why? Because people are turning their backs against God. And they're making a disaster of the world. And God is gracious enough to enter in, dive headfirst in and say, I'm not going to give up on y'all. I'm going to bring about a restoration of my glory by redeeming a people who worship me. And he says, I'm going to do it through Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And then as we read Genesis, what happened? Abraham and Sarah finally had Ishmael and Isaac. And what did God do? He said, it's going to be through the family line of Ishmael. The seed of the promised child of Abraham is traced throughout your Old Testament in these very dark days in which the Bible was packaged together to say, trace the line. The Messiah is coming. There's hope in this world. And it comes through Isaac, not Ishmael. And then Isaac has Jacob and Esau, twins. And God says, it's coming through Jacob, not Esau. Jacob's family became Israel. Esau's family became the Edomites. And so the Israelites are sitting there in devastation and despair. The chosen line bearing the Messiah who will come made into the covenant people of God who have God in their midst in the temple displaying his glory, giving his word, his wisdom, his plans, his covenants. They have everything. Paul talks about this in Romans 9. Israelites had everything. All the spiritual blessings of God have been given to this covenant people. And they say, how have you loved us? And then Esau, Jacob and Esau, Esau's people are the Edomites. This nation out there that's just thriving without God. And so they're like, how have you loved us? And he says, I chose you, not Esau. That's the word love, hate. When you translate it, all the scholars have researched, it's basically saying, where he says, I love Jacob, I hated Esau, that bothers us. It's simply saying, I chose Jacob, I didn't choose Esau. But that's a huge deal that they use language like that. And then he says, and you know what? Their fate, I spared you from what they've got coming. And so we... See, he says these lang- this language about their coming destruction, their coming judgment. And God is saying, what Esau, what the Edomites, what the nations are going to experience, you're not going to experience that. Because I've saved you from that. And so he explains, he says, I've laid waste to the hill country. And he says, they're going to be a, a wicked country that is, I am angry with forever. Now remember, these are people who hate God. These are people who are rebelling against God, who are worshiping other gods. And God says, I'm the only one true God, turn to me. And so not every Edomite hated God, but they become representative of the nations that hate God. 
And so as a nation representative of those who hate God, God says they will be judged. And not every Israelite loves God, but they are representative of the people who fear God, love God, worship God. And God says, you will be saved. And so when you ask me, as your life is a mess, as your life is in ruins, as your dreams are dashed, how have you loved us? He says, I am saving you from judgment. In chapter 4, verse 1 of Malachi, he describes this terrible judgment that is coming. Now, here's what the prophets do. The prophets oftentimes will talk about these nations that lived in history and something that was happening happened in their near future, and that becomes a picture of what is yet to happen in the distant future. So Edom was a nation in the 400s BCs. They actually were destroyed, and they were never referred to as a nation again. So it was fulfilled in that sense, but it becomes a picture of the judgment of all the God-haters in the world that's coming when Christ returns. And here's a description of that day, Malachi 4.1. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. You see the flame analogy? Burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. And the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you, whom I've made my covenant people, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. You see what he's saying? He's saying, how have I loved you? On this day when my judgment flame comes like a burning oven that leaves nothing but devastation and stubble in its path, rising up from that like a phoenix will be the son of righteousness. And those who are in the son of righteousness will go about leaping like calves let out of a stall. And we're like, I have no idea what that means. Here's a different analogy. They will go about like a Labrador who's been in a kennel for 10 hours, set free, and he jumps and he runs in circles. That's God's people on the day of judgment because God loves them. And there's such joy in the contrast here. And on that day, those who are in the son of righteousness will be victorious, resurrected from the ashes, and under their feet they will tread the enemies of God. That's only true of the true covenant people of God. In Israel, there are those who are not truly God's covenant people. In this church, there are people who are not truly God's covenant people. So who are the true covenant people of God? We see the answer in Malachi. Just look at different verses. Malachi 4 verse 2. Right in the text I just read, those who fear the name of the Lord. 
Those who fear, that's a reverential respect and awe. That's worship. You can't be born into this. An Israelite was born with an identi- ethnic identity of Israelites, but that didn't make them right with God. The covenant people of God are only those who, in their own heart, fear the Lord. You can't be born into the faith. You can't be born a Christian. I don't care if you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Episcopalian. It doesn't make you right with God. You have to fear the name of the Lord Yahweh as revealed in his sacred writings in the scriptures. And he says, it's those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. Do you esteem his name? In chapter 3, verse 16, esteem his name. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, it is those who trust in the coming messenger of God's covenant. Remember, this is the last book of your Old Testament saying, do you trust in the coming covenant messenger? This is referring to the new covenant, Jesus Christ. And he says, they will, he will, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this was written Several hundred years before Jesus came, the prophet says there is a messenger of God's covenant who is coming. He will come into his temple and you in whom you delight. Do you delight in the messenger that God has sent, the messenger of the new covenant, which the New Testament says his name is Jesus? Do you delight in Jesus? Do you have a flame flickering of joy in what Jesus and the message of Jesus means. It means life after death. It means forgiveness of sins. It means eternal life because of what Jesus did. That judgment, fire, the oven flame has been poured out on Jesus for you. Does that ignite a flame of thankfulness in your heart? Does it ignite a flame of worship and esteem and delight and reverence and fear and awe? Is there a flame in your heart when you hear the name Jesus? Examine your heart. Is there even the smallest flicker? That's the true covenant member. The message of the Bible is that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins because you can't pay the price that you owe. But Jesus died, took the penalty. If you trust that, if you receive, if you're trusting only in, if you are treasuring what Christ did on the cross as the only satisfaction for your debt, that he absorbed that fiery wrath of God for you, then you are in Christ. And being in Christ, hidden in Christ by faith, you will pass through the flames of judgment. And that is a gift of God. That is a meritless based system you didn't deserve that the reason i struggled for the last three weeks the reason i was praying weekly god forgive me god do a work in my heart show me 
why I'm taking this for granted? Why doesn't it just shake me to the core? Why doesn't the gospel flame burn so bright that I've got fire in my eyes and in my belly? Why is it cooled? It's because when I read verses like Malachi 4.1 about the terrible judgment, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all those arrogant people and all those evildoers will be stubble. That's not me in my heart. I think it's someone else outside. But the Bible says that's me. That's you. You and I are arrogant evildoers. Have you ever been arrogant? Well, then you're arrogant. Have you ever lied? Well, then you're a liar. Have you ever stolen one? Then you're a thief. Have you ever hated and had anger? Then scripture says, then you're a murderer. That's who we are. That's in our being. That's the very essence of our character. But for the grace of God. And if you don't feel it, hit your knees and pray, God, break my heart. And I promise you, you will never regret that. And you don't get off your knees until he crushes your heart. And he burns that flame. Because if you don't have that flame, you've got nothing in this life. I prayed, God, I don't feel I'm on fire for you. I don't have a gospel flame burning inside of me that's just igniting an engine of worship. I feel dead. I feel routine. I feel begrudging. I feel like I've done this for so long. I could do this in my sleep. Lord, what in the world is wrong with me? Change my heart, Lord. And you need to do the same thing because every day that flame is trying to dim. Something's trying to snuff it. And if you don't have that flame, it's going to be dark, brother. It's going to be dark. And as that flame starts to flicker... The word delight starts to make sense. Delight. Those who delight in the Lord. Those who delight in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Life is hard. Children rebel. You want a relationship with your children and they won't give it. Marriages struggle and marriages fail. One, one, one decision and all your financial dreams are gone. One tragedy and you are forever changed. Trauma happens. One phone call and the diagnosis comes. One email and you're out of work. And in a moment, a loved one dies. If you don't have that flame flickering in you, if it's not bright, baby, it's going to be dark. It's going to be real dark. And God calls us to so much more. 
God has loved you and you look at your life and you say, how have you loved me? And he says, I have chosen to save you and adopt you and give you eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that flame needs to be fanned until it is bright with embers because that is the only flame that will propel you, that will empower you, that will motivate you to give your life away, to sacrifice in the midst of all of that destruction and chaos and despair, to give what you want to hold on to so badly because you think this is the only thing I've got left. And he says, give it away because that's when you'll find life. That'll only happen when the blaze is in your heart. But the Israelites forgot how God loved them. And as a result, the rest of Malachi has to be said. Warning number two, verse six of chapter one. Because you've forgotten God's love, remember to give God your best. You forget how much God loves you, you're not going to give God your best. I can promise you that. He says in verse 6, this is God speaking. A son honors his father, right? Right? Hello. A son honors his father, right? Okay. And a servant honors his master, right? A servant honors his master, right? God says, I'm a father. Where's my honor? Am I your master? Where's my honor? Where's my fear, the Lord says. You honor your fathers. You honor your bosses. Am I not your father? Am I not your master? Where is my honor, says the Lord to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have I despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, well, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table can be despised. When you offer, listen to this. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? He's talking about the sacrificial system. They're bringing their, their junk, lame offerings he says are you kidding me you ask me how have you dishonored me you're bringing me your garbage your leftovers is that not evil go give that to your governor and see what happens see how that works out for you take that to your boss take that to your dad say here i want to honor you with this garbage And you're going to do that to God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the one who saved you from every destruction that you have coming. That is sick, is what he says. This is what happens when the flame goes down. If you don't have the flame of what God has done for you, how much he loves you, if your flame is lame, your worship will be lame. And you know what God says? 
I don't need your lame worship. A bunch of scriptures I don't have time to get to where he says, oh, I'm going to establish worship for my name global. I don't need you. It is your privilege to be in here worshiping God. He says in now, verse, verse 9, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a lame gift from your hand. Will he show any favor to you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the door that you might not kindle a fire of vain on my altar. How many times have I walked from that office into these doors and the Lord said, someone shut that door. Do not let him bring that lame offering into this house because his heart is not in it. How many times have you pulled into this parking lot, walked in that door, and the Lord is saying, someone shut the door. Don't come in my house and flip through your phone and think about what the score is or think about your grocery list or think about when is he going to stop so we can eat or to think about anything but my glory. He says, do not bring that in my house. Shut the door. I don't need you. What a rebuke. And it's not just in here. It's every day. Romans 12, 1, therefore, in view of the flame of gospel mercies and love who saved you and gave you life, in view of the mercies of God, present your life, your bodies, your work, your parenting, your teaching, your engineering, your doctoring, your everything. Do it as an act of worship. Living worship. And J.D. Greer says the problem with a living offering when we lay ourselves on the altar of God is we're still alive. We keep trying to get off the altar. And we cool the flames. And it becomes drudgery. It becomes duty. It becomes rote. It becomes routine. And we don't give the Lord our best. And the Lord says, you better watch out. I don't need you. You need me, he says. And he says really strong language for priests, for leaders. He's telling us, you don't need to come in here with half-hearted offerings. He says in chapter two, verse three, behold, I will rebuke your offspring. I will spread dung on your faces. The dung of the lame offerings that you set on the altar, I'm gonna take the dung and spread it in your face. No wonder he says, you don't wanna come in here with that. 
right? He's saying, don't bring that sick stuff in here. I will spread it on your faces and you shall be taken away with it. And then he says, you need to be like the Levite. Levi, the priest, the model priest. What does he say? He says to you, this is your job description, parents. This is your job description, students. If anyone, and there is someone watching you, everyone has someone they have influence over. And the Lord is saying to you, be like Levi who feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is who you are in Christ. You are the priest. The intercessor between God and humanity. You as a parent are a priest. And the scriptures are full of reasons for us to model worship. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Church is instructed, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. God calls us to live such lives of worship fed by gospel flames that we could tell those who look to us and say, Watch my life, imitate my faith. This is what it's all about. That's how you disciple, that's how you evangelize, that's how we multiply the glory of God throughout this city, is when we live it from the flames of authenticity and it fuels. Authentic lives of worship. And you say, hey, watch me. This is what it looks like to worship Jesus. Second Thessalonians 3, 7, Paul says, for you yourselves know how, how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you. You saw me do what you see me doing. God has loved you infinitely in Jesus Christ. When this trial is over, there's another one coming. He said, get ready, this life's gonna be hard. And in the midst of that, he says, follow me, imitate me. That's your calling in life. So what's the Lord asking you to do? Stop the lame worship. Do not come in here unless you are serious about worshiping God. And that takes a lot of focus and energy to get on your knees when you're not in here. And say, God, my heart is not right. Okay, more specific, what are you asking me to do, Pastor? Number one, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus to save you from your sins. 
pray God ignite within my heart a flame of faith to embrace Jesus as the all-sufficient Savior. And then pray, Jesus, ignite my heart with gratitude. Oh, how you have loved me. And so this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And I want you to read it and read it again and read it again and pray, Holy Spirit, rip my heart out. Don't let me play these games. Don't let me bring any more lame offerings into your house. And you pray, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has blessed us in Christ with every, think about it, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What in the world is that? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says they're yours in Christ. Why? Because he is good. He is gracious. He chose you in Christ to give you all these spiritual blessings. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That we should be holy and blameless. This is who he's declared us to be. This is who he's making us to be. He's making you holy. He's making you blameless. He declares you holy now. He declares you blameless now. Even though your heart is dim. In love he did this, not in anger, not in manipulation, but in love. He predestined us, he predestined you if you're in Christ, for adoption. He walked through the orphanage of babies crying for love and he chose you and he lifted you and he embraced you and he kissed you and he said, praise God for you. And he died for you. Do you feel how much he loves you? Is there a flicker of love in your heart? And he says, I love you. And I've got an incredible inheritance for you. And you don't deserve it, but I want to give it to you. Because I love you. All the blessings in the heavenly places. According to his will. This is his idea. And to the praise of his glory. All about his grace, which is what he blessed us with in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In him, we have all these things according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon you. In all of his wisdom and his insight, he made known to us. He pulled back the dark veil and revealed the mystery of his will in Christ. This was all according to his purpose. And he's the one that set this in plan, this plan in place in Christ. A plan for the fullness of time in which he's going to unite all things, all people, all things in heaven and on earth. Are you going to be united in Christ? And he's included you in that if you're in Christ. For in him, in Christ, we have obtained this inheritance. 
having been predestined according to the purposes of him, not our purposes, but his purposes, who works all things, not some things, but everything. He works according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Why? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard this truth, the gospel, the good news about this salvation. When you heard this message about your salvation in Christ and you received that with faith, when you believed that, That moment the Holy Spirit rushed into your heart and he sealed you up so that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can forfeit the inheritance. Nothing can ruin this for you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God has stamped you and sealed you and wrapped you and holds you. He is guaranteeing that inheritance until that day we finally acquire possession of it. That's the gospel. That's good news. And if that's not gripping your soul, then don't do anything else. Don't even go to work tomorrow until you get this flame burning in your heart. Father God, help us. We will never give you our best. As long as your love for us is lame. Engulf our heart with flames. That we might be on fire. For your glory. Holy Spirit. I pray that right now you fill this place. There are many Christians in name only that need your fire to explode in our hearts. May all of our eyes be opened to how incredibly gracious you are. You have loved us in Christ. As we sing the songs, the words of these songs that talk about that, Lord, rip our hearts that we might worship you in spirit and in truth with authenticity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.